0: Hello and welcome to On the Road with Pactimo. I'm David Newcomer and I'm your host. Pactimo is a Colorado company known for quality, reliability, and unsurpassed customer service. Since 2003, we've shipped over one and a half million garments to Olympians, national champions, teams, clubs, and individual cyclists around the globe. On the Road with Pactimo presents conversations with the people that make it happen. We're going to bring information to you from some of our favorite customers, industry partners, and nonprofit organizations. And we'll also provide some insight into the process and products that make Pactimo your choice for custom cycling apparel. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 5 of On the Road. I hope that uh, you're all enjoying the spring weather and the start of a new cycling season as much as I am. Had a chance to uh, pin a number on last night and start up in a local time trial series here and uh it's one that i've done for a number of years and and actually had a couple years off just coming back to it and one of my friends asked if it was everything i'd remembered and it's it's funny how you get about five or six pedal revolutions into it is all it takes to to have that thought cross your mind that huh maybe some more speed work in the training (laughs) would be good Hey, today we've got a, a really cool interview with Tyler Wren, who knows a little bit about training and cycling. Tyler is a, uh, a longtime domestic pro with a 13-year career, 12 of which he spent with the Jameis Hagens Berman uh, Colavita, Bola, Colavita Sutter Home team. That, one team, uh, like all, that evolved over time with different sponsors and the name changes, but 12 seasons with those guys. Tyler is absolutely storied for his longevity and and certainly admired and respected among the pros everywhere for for his contribution to the sport. Tyler won stages at the Vuelta Chile, the Tour of the Gila. He's a four time collegiate national champion. He was a two time winner of the U.S. Pro Champions King of the Mountain competition. Uh, Podium appearances at Redland, Tour de Tuna, the Nature Valley Grand Prix. And lately, he has got this incredible organization started called Renegade Sports, where he's doing a series of events in the Farm to Fork Fondo, uh, events that start up in June and they run through the uh, mid-late September time period. Some amazing, really culinarily uh, focused even uh, events, with rides with suitable distances for, for all ages, all people, all performances, all skills. And uh, just really cool to talk with Tyler. So uh, I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. And thanks for listening. We'll uh, catch up at the end. You know, in the last couple episodes, we've had a chance to talk about some of our newest products and some of our high-end, high-level performance pieces. But one of the beautiful things about spring is it really gives you that opportunity to test all of your accessories and performance as well. Well, Pactimo's custom line does include, of course, custom arm warmers, knee warmers, leg warmers. We've got new tall cycling shoe covers, gloves, quick release changing kilts that are fantastic don't forget these things you guys when you're putting your orders together or you're ordering from your team store the accessories this time of year particularly really make it work Uh, the ability to show up at a race and and know that you're going to be comfortable you're going to be prepared for whatever weather is thrown at you you know this includes the vest whether it's an evergreen vest or maybe the Breckenridge WXD vest for a little cooler temperatures or maybe a little more precip Uh, these things are all available in the custom line too they're smart design products rubber grippers in all the right places to help keep things in place, uh, easy to put on, take off, store when they're not needed, uh, check them out. That's a, that's certainly a must-do at this time of year. Go to pactimocustom.com and look under product lines for accessories. Hey, hey Tyler, how's it going?
1: Uh, good, good, good. <laughs> all right.
0: You know, it's funny. Um, I'm reading a book right now called Revenge of Analog. And it talks about how how technology is enabling a broader community to experience what you're bringing, you know, with this uh, just amazing menu of options here. The trouble is, is that whenever you log onto the machine for the first time in a while, or just, you know, if I use my home computer and I haven't done so in a day or two, and I'm just on there to do one simple thing. And you're hit with like 14 update requests and reminders and messages. It's like,
1: yeah. And then little tasks come up, and you go down the rabbit holes, and then you never got, and then you forget what you were there to do in the first place.
0: Exactly. Ah, drives me crazy sometimes. So thank you for taking some time to talk with us today.
1: <laughs> well, well, thanks for having me, David. It's good. It's good to talk with you and be on your show, and uh, agree with you about technology. It's it's a great thing to get us together, but it's uh, no substitute for. Uh, a great event or shared experience uh, like at one of our events or any number of bicycle events out there. So I think we're on the same page there.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Mm -hmm. So, hey, let me do this, Tyler, since um, you've got such an amazing career. Let me ask you a question, though. When when did you actually get started in cycling? And do you remember kind of who brought it to your mind that racing would be the way to go?
1: Well, I was always athletic. Um, I grew up in suburban Philadelphia, and I was um, started running at a pretty early age. In middle school, I was one of those kids who caught the attention of the high school track and cross-country coach. So I got into uh, cross-country and track running. And uh, But over the summers throughout high school, I bought a mountain bike, and I did some mountain bike racing with my dad. Um, so I guess maybe it was his idea in the first place. Um, as a shared experience for for he and I, um, we we mountain bike together and then we decided to do do a race and we had a really fun time together. He raced against the uh, fathers of uh, the the other juniors that I was racing against. It was a really fun experience, and uh, you know that just kept kept being a part of my life. And then I went to college uh, and raced uh, on the collegiate team there. I actually had some injuries that prevented me from running, so I just did more cycling and. Um, And that's sort of where it all started to snowball for me
0: oh wow no kidding so the road bike racing really didn't come into play until you were at Princeton
1: that's right yeah I didn't get a road bike until the week before uh my freshman year at Princeton so uh, wow fantastic
0: yeah Yeah. and uh being a a four-time collegiate national champion I, I take it that worked out pretty well for you
1: yeah, I did. I had pretty um, pretty quick <laughs> success, um, but you know, having such a strong endurance background from running, and already familiarity with the bike, uh, doing mountain bike racing, I think it was a that gave me a head start. Um, but uh, I just I just fell in love with road cycling in that first week that I started riding my bike. I kind of I kind of never looked back to running and never even crossed. I had all these aspirations of being on the cross country team at a at a big uh, college, and that just that just sort of. I left that in my rearview mirror after I got my bike.
0: <clears throat> Excellent. You know, that's, um, it's a story I've heard more often than not, you know, with coming from a running background and, uh, unfortunately oftentimes from an injury, you know, whether it's, uh, just, a an overuse injury or, or something more acute that, you know, cycling is part of the prescribed rehabilitation, if you will. And, and it sticks. Um, and I'll admit that's, that's part of mine as well, as far as my, Overriding interest and and competed more as a runner myself earlier and used my bike to commute. Never really even thought about racing, until I was riding with a friend and and they suggested it as we were uh, heading up one of the canyons here. But um, yeah, that's that's cool. So what was the bike? What was your first bike?
1: Uh, my first bike was a it was a Trek. Um, you know, I was inspired by watching Lance Armstrong in the Tour de France that nineteen ninety nine. That was such a... Such a that, actually, that Tour de France was the first one I ever watched, and it was really inspiring, and I, I wanted to get the same bike the Lance had. I didn't get the fancy one, but I got maybe the next one down, so... That's outstanding. That sponsorship so, in action right there. It works. Good advertising.
0: <laughs> so, watching the Tour in 99, and then you started Pro in 2002, just three years later with Mercury, right?
1: That's right, yeah. Um, it was just... Um, it was sort of a... You know getting a pro contract in cycling is um, it's a little bit of talent it's a little bit of networking and it's a little bit of luck and all of that came into play for me I think I I think I sort of had the adequate amount of, of talent I could I could do a cat one race and uh, hold my own uh, but uh, we actually had the local mercury dealer was a uh, sponsor of the Princeton cycling team and oh, cool. um, yeah we just uh, approached them and they and they gave us a check, and for, for a college team, any kind of sponsorship is a big deal, and uh, it just so happened, this is where the luck comes in, and the networking, that the local Mercury dealer in New Jersey, near Princeton University, that guy was uh, the head of the Regional Dealers Association that was responsible for the big sponsorship of the Mercury Pro Team, um, which was a big team in the U.S. at that time. It was one of the one of the two or three biggest pro teams.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So, he had this idea that he wanted to have a collegiate feeder system, and so he adopted us, and he wanted to have one of the, you know, collegiate guys from the Princeton team graduate under the pro team, and I was sort of um, doing the best of my peers at that time, so I was sort of the the pick for that feeder system, and uh, I was in way over my head. I'd show up at these races, and uh, these guys were kind of like, well, who who is this guy? You know, I'd, I'd room with them, and they'd... They wouldn't know who I was because I wasn't at training camp because I was still in college at the time. I'd just show up to a race here and there and get my butt kicked. And, and um, <laughs> you know, it just—it <laughs> was quite an experience. Um, but uh, just just get—it was—it was—it got my foot in the door, and then I was able absolutely.
0: To- that's outstanding. Right place at the right time. You know, with exact. Uh, that's really cool. So it was a a year with Mercury, and then a storied twelve seasons with the Jameis uh, Colavita, uh, James Higgins, Berman, and, and the various iterations of, um, of of their of their team for, for 12 years, 12 seasons, Tato. That's outstanding. That's right. Yeah, I signed a
1: 12 year contract when I started that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke.
0: <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um, so okay, so tell me how things went with with 12 years under your belt there. And I know the the, the beginning sounds like it was um, fun. Uh, it sounds like that was a little uh, a bit of a, a challenge, just kind of finding a way in the group, but I'm assuming that probably didn't take long. Looking at how quickly things have developed for you here just so far, I'm, I'm guessing that awkwardness didn't last long.
1: Yeah, so it was another example of being in the right place at the right time because the, the, the team, it was actually called Colavita, Colavita was the main sponsor back then, and Colavita Olive Oil, is a, it's a big Italian olive oil importing company, and they're based right there in New Jersey. And mm-hmm. so they were starting a pro team, and uh, the head guy there, this guy named John Perfacci, he's the marketing uh, director at Colavita, he, uh, he was looking for sort of local young pros who could be a part of the team on his initial shoestring shoe budget. And uh, I, I had the Mercury pro team on my resume. Um, unbeknownst to him, it didn't mean a whole lot because I, I hadn't done a ton of races with them. But uh, he took a chance on me. Uh, he wanted someone local. It, it worked out, and um, I think he paid me maybe like 200 bucks a month that first year, if that. And uh, Olive Garden was a sponsor, so we had uh, unlimited Olive Garden gift cards. And there you go. I, I lived in my mom's basement, and I went to Olive Garden every day, and uh, and I made it work. And uh, that team that team grew uh, significantly over the next uh, five, ten years. And, uh, it, it, really coincided well with my growth, uh, as a professional cyclist. And, and so when they were doing all the biggest races, I was ready for it. And, uh, so it was just a, a great fit that was really had a serendipitous, uh, beginning.
0: <clears throat> That's outstanding. You know, the living in the basement is, um, I like the the coupling of that with the unlimited Olive Garden. Yeah. That's, not a, that's not a bad way to go, I suppose, right? <laughs> um, yeah. And certainly for uh, for a young pro cyclist on a new team and a, a shoestring budget, that all sounds pretty good. Um, so you were with them for, for quite some time. I know you did a lot of racing uh, internationally. It sounds like some really fun racing down in South America, which I can only imagine the challenges that come with with that. I've only traveled to a couple parts of South America, but even just from uh, my limited travel experience, there was, did not include any racing. Uh, I know that the condition of streets and the traffic and um, dogs and and, and everything else is, uh, in fact, Carl was telling me some pretty amazing stories about racing in Mexico and some of the vehicles that were kind of the lead vehicles to uh, take care of the canine problem, if you will. but uh, racing in Argentina and South America and, and some wins down that way, too. Tell me about how that was for you.
1: Sure. Yeah, we did get the opportunity to race all over the world, uh, including South America. And uh, it's it's definitely like the Wild West down there. Uh, bike racing is already a pretty dangerous endeavor, and it's certainly more dangerous down there. Um, but, you know, I think the one probably common thread most bike racers have is a, is a little bit skewed sense of risk and a skewed sense of, uh, self-preservation. So, uh, I think it kind of most, mostly works out in the end. There are bigger road furniture, there's stray dogs, there's, uh, oh man, it's just, there's roads that you would never encounter in the U.S., you know, with, with no guardrail and a sheer cliff on the side that, uh, no bike race would ever even go near, uh, for liability reasons up here. But, uh, they go down, they go down those crazy roads down there. And, uh, <laughs> it's it's an adventure. I mean, I think it causes a lot of people. Uh, a lot of my teammates were pretty stressed out sometimes when we went down there. But I I just kind of always remind myself of the, of the big picture that I'm that I'm going to this exotic place and I'm experiencing a new culture and uh, you know I learned Spanish throughout my time as a pro cyclist. Mm-hmm. And I Feel really grateful for that experience and uh, I loved it. I would always try to get out of the hotel room and uh, go you know check out the local scene. And uh, when I was down in Argentina drinking mate. Uh, which is like a thing that everyone does down there. Uh, just try to right. experience the culture while I'm there because um, it's hard to do the touristy stuff sometimes when we're on a, on a bike racing trip. But I, I feel really grateful for those experiences.
0: Absolutely. You know, you touched on something there that I've kind of had in mind for a while, and it's maybe for some of the people that are newer to racing too, to understand that skewed sense of risk and the cyclists' um natural instinct to preservation sometimes it comes off rather a brusque uh, or abruptly in a in a race situation and I know that more often than not you know if you're if you're feeling I don't know just this the speeds and the vulnerability of the event um, you can come up and and maybe come across to as, as short or rude um, but more often than not I know at the end of the race you'll circle back and and just kind of chat with, with whoever it was and, and things are understood and cool. but uh, I know that's one of the things that people that are new to racing find uh, a bit a bit awkward, I suppose maybe that, that people can come across as as rude or abrupt and I don't think that it's necessarily that's the individual's trait, but it's just the situation.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it certainly feels like a battle in the moments uh, when you're when you have one kilometer to go and your heart is racing and you're doing everything you can to um, defend your position and uh, fight for the wheels in front of you and bump elbows and and be aggressive. Um, but then at the end of the day, I think most most pro cyclists, um, pro cyclists in particular, I think have the perspective that you know we're. We all we all want to end the day safely, and uh, we're all pretty fortunate to be living this lifestyle and be mm-hmm. uh, have have the have the ability to live this lifestyle. So uh, lots of times, those those heightened sense of uh, aggressiveness uh, fades away after after the race is over.
0: Now that's a good point, point. and it is very dimmi- uh, different in the amateur uh, ranks of things, where you know an injury means that I'm out of work for a couple of days. Cycling's not my profession. Uh, that kind of a scenario, but, uh, interesting, this, this, that, that kind of struck a chord. Um, very cool. So, um, you know, I, I don't want to take too long to get to the stuff that you're doing today, but Tyler, it's just so cool to talk to somebody that's, that's had such a, a long career as you have. And, um, actually I was familiar with you first from some of your writing diaries with Velo news. And, uh, I remember specifically the, the one article about racing in Argentina, and that's kind of why I brought that up. But, um, so you've got some writing experience with those guys. You worked with them for a while and, um, and then now recently you've started Renegade Sports and as we mentioned at the top of the show, this Farm to Fork Fondo. And why don't I let you tell us what that's all about?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I founded this, um, uh, um, event organization, uh, Renegade Sports in 2014 and, uh, I founded this series of events, the Farm to Fork Fondo, that is uh, just a great way for me to share my passion for cycling with uh, with more people. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a combination of gourmet food, uh, aid stations at local farms, uh, options for all abilities, all kinds of great activities throughout each event weekends. And what I'm trying to do with this series is... Uh, motivate the cycling community to support the farm community and bring those two worlds together. Um, most people don't have farmers in their social circles, and I do now, and they're great people. And I think the cycling community has a unique uh, responsibility to support the farms in their area, not only for the great food, but also because when a farm gets developed, uh, it impacts uh, our local riding routes too. It's a beautiful thing to ride your bike past uh, a nice farm and beautiful farmland, and there's lots of areas in the country where uh, the farms are, are being developed and they're facing greater pressures, and, um, you know, it, it really impacts our roots. So um, I've got tons of inspiration on, on how I came up with that idea and, and, why, and what started this whole thing, but that's basically the, the the central message of the events of what I'm trying to achieve.
0: Huh, that's really <laughs> cool. I like that. You know, and so for those listening, you can access... Some of these pictures that I'm looking at that uh, Tyler's talking about of these farms and the scenery that your rides go by and through, um, either through Renegade Sports or, or from For- farmforkfondo.com is the site that I'm looking at right now. And it lists the, uh, the events in the Hudson Valley, Finger Lakes, Vermont, uh, the Pennsylvania Dutch area. You've got a ride up in Maine and also in the Berkshires. And these go from June through September. That's keeping you pretty busy, I suppose.
1: Oh, absolutely! It's uh, these are very complex events, and uh, you know I've got a, a great staff and a great event crew, and we have tons of volunteers that help. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it takes a whole year to plan one of these events, so so I'm working on them all the time.
0: <laughs> That's a really cool series, and even just looking at the map and the areas that you're you're covering here, I've only had the opportunity to travel to the North Sea Northeast a few times, and, and it's just gorgeous. It's so different from Colorado and what I'm used to here, but. Um, you know, as much as the, the rides, you've got a, a Gran, a Medio, and a Piccolo, and forgive me the pronunciation on any of these words. Um, I, but uh, So you've got a, a variety of routes to choose from for the rider. And like I mentioned before, you've released the menu for the Finger Lakes. And just looking at what's going to be at the aid stations, the small bites, we've got a strawberry balsamic crostini. The grilled cheese sandwich bites that feature local ingredients, raw milk cheeses from the farm, um, live, the uh, chevre cheesecake, and hard cider, strawberry gelato, and a wood-fired gourmet pizza bites, and that's just the aid station. That's not even the dinners when you get done.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I yeah, I'm I'm striving really hard to make these really unique experiences, and. Uh, you know, the idea is you ride farm to farm and you sample a gourmet small bite with a with an ingredient from that farm and you meet the farmer who uh, grew that ingredient or created that ingredient or sometimes even baked the treat. Um, and then, uh, then there's a big celebration at the end with the big farm to table barbecue and live music uh, on the farm, we, we always have a farm venue as well.
0: <clears throat> and so the farm venue, the, and again, just looking at this, and you've got options again, um, for a, a barbecue that looks amazing, and then there's also the meet the farmers dinner that looks like a, a, a higher level event, if you will, with hors d'oeuvres, first and second course, a main course, and a dessert. Um, again, outstanding. Just uh, I haven't had lunch yet, and I should have done that before I called.
1: <laughs> yeah. But, uh, well, that, this that is
0: really that that
1: thing. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's a really special part of the event. Um, is that we have this gourmet dinner the night before the ride. That's an optional uh, addition. And we actually invite our participating farm families who are hosting the aid stations the next day. They come to our farm venue and have this gourmet dinner with the participants. And our pro riders that are there um, participate as well. So it's a great opportunity to, uh, like I said, kind of get that social interaction between the farmers and our participants. Uh, It's a really, really special
0: uh, event. Really very cool. So tell me, with the idea of supporting the farms, what do you tell your ridership, or what do you provide the ridership as far as tools to do so? How do you encourage the ridership to support these farms that are participating in your events or that you're riding through? And those. Well,
1: things? we do it in a number of ways. Um, you know, the first way that is that we spend a lot of money. A lot of the entry fee goes to uh, catering these gourmet treats, uh, and we buy the ingredients straight from the farms. So they 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 each get a big financial boost from this event um, in, in one particular way. So that's you know, the, the best way to preserve farmland is to have uh, farms that are doing well economically. Um, and then we also just do a lot of education throughout uh, throughout the year on our social media, on our website uh, to encourage people to support the farms in their area and to reiterate this message. You know, we, uh, we interview our farmers and do uh, meet the farmers interviews throughout the year. Uh, and we also have... Um, we also donate a lot of money to local farm organizations, um, so we benefit a lot of uh, different organizations that are doing things like educating new farmers, uh, preserving farmland. Um, in each of our event locations, so you know we have examples are like the uh, uh, the Vermont Farmers Food Center is a is a nonprofit that we benefit in Vermont that's uh, uh collects all the produce from local farms and then sells it. Uh, in bulk at uh, it's different distributors, so, so it gives the farmers a place to sell their food, which is really important for them, so they don't have leftover mm-hmm. inventory. Um, so, and there's Orange County Land Trust is one in Hudson Valley that preserves farmland throughout this uh, this beautiful farmland area um, that we benefit as well. So that's that's part of the mission. And then we also just really encourage people to um, you know think about where your food comes from. If you can uh, go to the grocery store uh, and you can buy broccoli from a local farm. Versus buying it from uh, South America, um, you, you just have try to ha- try to understand that it really impacts uh, your local community and your riding routes on where you spend that that money. It's really matters a lot, and we're trying to
0: push that message consistently. Absolutely, mm-hmm. that's great, Toddler. That's really cool. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the the distances and the options that you offer for the ride itself.
1: Sure. Like so, I I, um, I want people to understand that this is uh, our events are really geared towards people of all abilities. I mean, I I, I have my pro cyclist friends come to our events, and we have uh, beginners who haven't ridden a bike in 30 years, riding their rusty bike from their garage. um, And everything in between, and I think we try really hard to make sure everyone feels welcome, and everyone feels supported, and encouraged. Um, You know, I I set out when I started Renegade Sports with a clear mission statement, um, and I wanted to provide um, achievable challenges for people of all abilities. And uh, that's what we're trying to do. So we have a t- 8 to 10 mile ramble ride at every event, uh, which is you ride your bike to one farm four or five miles away, get the treat at the farm, and, and ride back to the finish. And we have it all the way up to 90 or 100 miles sometimes uh, with, with hilly courses and eight or nine different farm stops, uh, and then several in between. So you choose the distance that's best for you, and then you ride farm to farm.
0: Hmm. And the first one is the for this year is the Hudson Valley, and that comes up on June 11th. Yep. And how would people register for that event, Tyler? Is their registration still open for the for the Hudson Valley?
1: Yeah. So they can register at farm forkfonda. dot and uh, we did sell out three out of our four events last year, including Hudson Valley. Um, and the actually the two new events are also also starting to fill up as well. So um, we're we're about halfway filled on most of the events so there's still space but it's uh it's going to be running out at some point um, there is limited capacity because the 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 events happen on farms so we can't park a thousand people at these farms um you know it's limited capacity for all the events
0: sure that makes sense and then so the the registration from renegade or from farm to fork fondo Tutter, just outstanding stuff man again i'm looking through these pictures at the routes and and the farmland that you guys are riding through and um, I'm gonna have to find a way to get out there. Uh, this is—it's uh, just gorgeous, and and the food too, which I don't mean to overemphasize here, but really, you you're just not gonna find this quality of food at your uh, typical century. There's no chance.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. We work with uh, caterers; they're normally doing weddings, you know. And this gourmet farm dinner is like a wedding rehearsal dinner, and the uh, the cater treats are like little, you know, really high end hors d'oeuvres. So it's uh, it's a very much a foodie experience, and that's just all part of creating something special people will pay attention and really hear our, our message <clears throat> um oh, again, and i'd love I like to have you
0: um sorry go ahead
1: <laughs> i was gonna say i'd love to have you in particular because we uh you know we're working with Pactimo for the first time this year uh Pac-Timo is the official uh clothing partner and uh we're working on a really awesome design for the farm fork uh Fondo Kit, the jersey and shorts for this year. That's going to be really special. We're working with a, an illustrator to create a really artistic design, um, and I'm really excited about uh, working with you guys this year.
0: I've seen some of the previews, and you guys are putting together a really great-looking kit. Uh, I wouldn't expect anything different from what I've seen, and everything else you put together here. So, uh, but thank you, Tyler. I will. Uh, I'll talk to Carl, and we'll see if we can't get a few of us to uh, to find a way out there. That would be fun. That'd be a blast. Sounds great. Good Hopefully
1: stuff. we'll do a farm to Fort Fondo, Colorado in a few years. And then you won't have to go yeah, very Let far. me
0: know. Absolutely. No, that would be a little bit of a break from your from your selection right now. But uh, I'm sure we could find some suitable uh, suitable locations and, and equally uh, uh, capable caterers for sure. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, Tyler, hey, thanks again for your time today. It's really been a pleasure speaking with you. And... Um, I will post a couple links to the show here to make sure everyone's able to find your events and uh, keep up the good work, sir.
1: All right, thank you, David. Great speaking with you as well. Hope to see you at the events. Sounds good, Tyler.
0: All right, well, there's another one in the books. That was a uh, pleasure to talk with Tyler and every guest has just been uh, outstanding. Everyone's got so many uh, cool things to offer. Different perspectives on our sport, wonderful ways of approaching it, and it's uh, it's really been nice. You know, one of the things I forgot to ask Tyler, and I sent him an email to follow up with, was with a career as long as he's had, and with a diverse um, kind of approach to cycling and the things that he's doing today. What's the one thing that really rises to the top? What's the one thing that he learned is most important in all of this? And his response was simple. He said, "You know what? It really comes down to just a healthy lifestyle." And he didn't expand on it. He asked me if I wanted him to, but. You know, I kind of let it stew for a little bit, and even just tonight, I got back from a a time trial series that I've been participating in, a a series I haven't done in a couple of years, and I see a lot of familiar faces, people who I still talk to, but I haven't seen on the race course in a long time, and everyone there is living that kind of lifestyle, A, a very happy crowd. Racing, cycling, it just brings out the best in all of us, and that essential piece of a healthy lifestyle is kind of core to the whole thing, so... Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week and we'll see you next time on the road with Pactimo. timo